You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Monday, 12 February. Charles Darwin was born on this day in 1809. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Kamala Meprawani, I want to touch on that SUS or six-month trading update to end December. How much is this cyclical? How much is this SASL dependent? I suppose board dependent. Keith McLachlan, I want to touch on local education stocks. We saw that Kuro update and uh, write downs, uh, but which is his preferred? Advertech Kuro Studio. Uh, and then Casey Sprague from uh, Anchor. Slowing growth in China, pretty much at a crossroads. Can they get it back and going again? This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from News 24. Platinum bosses are hoping for the best, but cost-cutting for the worst. Business day. Ascender's offer is fair, says new BDO report. Financial advisory firm agrees with the offer of 80 cents per share. Morning markets. US was green. S&P up 0.6%. Nasdaq up 1%. The Easter's mostly closed. Sydney's trading. It's down a quarter of a percent. Tokyo closed for National Foundation Day. And Hong Kong and Tencent closed for Chinese New Year. Commodities are mostly green. Gold 2049. Brent 8163. Platinum 898. Palladium 898. Rand 1904. Bitcoin 48,200. Top 40 opening call. Green open expected. About 150 points to the up. That is 0.2% higher. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Joining now with Common uh, Meperwani, independent analyst. Common, appreciate the early morning. Uh, Sassel update came through ahead of the open on Friday. A lot of moving parts, but short answer is uh, things going down on the headline earnings per share side. How much is this just a, 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 a cyclical nature of a business such as Sassel? Morning, Simon. Um, <clears throat> definitely, I think the cyclicality is coming through. We discussed this a few weeks ago where the key issue here is the volatile macroeconomic environment. Um, we've seen the pricing pressure. We've discussed that. We've seen demand mm. um, coming down as well and obviously the inflationary pressure. So all in all, a perfect storm, I think, for Sassel as it is. And that's come through in the share price um, weakness of about 51% over the last year. Um, as we've said, in terms of the headline earnings down, guidance is down 28 to 42%. There are some nuances that, nuances that they have uh, brought up, which was related to the um, various divisions. But I think specifically what I wanted to flag was around the impact of the state-owned enterprises, which form part of the value chain. So that's been a negative for, for the group as well. There are some positives uh, too, but not enough to sway to the other side, unfortunately. You make the point. I mean, there's a lot here you know, around uh, state-owned enterprises, which, of course, they have to interact with, and, and they can't fix the SOEs, uh, the cyclical nature of it. There's a lot of talk around management and, and saying management's just not the right team. Is that a, a, a an, perhaps an unfair, because there's just a lot which is truthfully beyond their control and really is beyond their control? 
That's the, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter how strong you are in terms of management. Um, if there, as you said, those things that are out of your control that you you just have to weather through. Uh, and so it's going to bring to the point, I guess, um, you know, how we measure management, um, whether they can withstand this. Uh, you know, they did come through COVID. We've seen that uh, the, the shift um, obviously boosted by the, the strengthening in the oil price at that point. Uh, but I think this is where the metal gets tested, isn't it? Yeah, and, and this is where you earn your, your big bucks and, 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 and making it <laughs> a, a, a work its way through. Common Meprani, independent analyst, appreciate the early morning. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chatting now with uh, Keith McLaughlin, uh, he's CIO at uh, Integral Asset Management. Keith, appreciate the early morning time. Education stocks, I want to talk broadly around the three, but first let's touch on Kuro and impairments. They say between 340 and 380 million, this relating to lower yielding school assets. This is something that you've, I suspect, you've kind of been waiting for this for a long time. Absolutely. Good morning, Simon. So, Kiro built out very quickly a large uh, school portfolio, and the nature of that means you've got to sink a large amount of capex in it, mm-hmm. and then the schools have got to fill up, and you progressively build them out, etc., etc. And they've, to their credit, had very good disclosure in terms of the maturities of their schools, and especially where their EBITDA margins are lying in terms of the J curve. And they always had very clear targets in it. Mm. But if you dig into older maturities, there was a fair number of schools that weren't hitting these uh, these target EBITDA margins, which implies, quite simply, uh, they're not going to get the returns and capital they expect. And at some point, there are payments coming. Now, it takes a long time to work its way through the system. I suspect it also takes a long time for... Uh, management to accept that uh, okay. that Excel spreadsheets uh, look pretty, but in reality, sometimes things don't work out as well. So it's it's been expected for a while. Uh, the quantum, it felt like it should be bigger because they have invested literally billions mm. upon billions into that uh, space. But um, I, I suppose there's at least uh, at least something. Yeah, and I take your point. I mean, it, 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 my, I, I've done Excel spreadsheets, and you stare at them hard, and they, it doesn't help. Uh, if, if we look at the, the three, so we've got Kiro, which has been struggling. We've got Advertech trading just off all-time highs. We've got Stadio, which has had a really good run off pandemic lows. They're different in many ways. Uh, Stadio, uh, a lot of it is distant and tertiary. Uh, Advertech is, has got their, their local uh, fairly strong brands, both in, in schooling and tertiary. Your, your preference between them, I mean, is there, to your mind, a, a, a standard? standout winner or, or a standout opportunity here? Well, first, stand back and have a look at the thematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thematic is really investing in private education in South Africa. And unfortunately for South Africa and citizens, a, a pretty solid thematic is investing in any sector that is com- that's vital, but competing with the public sector. Um, and and private education is perfectly valid. The demand is there, the public sector and both schooling and tertiary 
is is fairly hopeless, if not at capacity and, and struggling. And therefore, quality education is immensely in demand. Uh, and there aren't a lot of players. And it takes a long time and it's complicated to build these sort of mm. uh, businesses. So all three of them are, are pretty valid from a thematic perspective, from a sectoral perspective. But then, then digging through the the details. Uh, Advitech, as you said, is, is, is a split between uh, tertiary and schools, and it's almost half-half that. Uh, not when you look at revenue, but when you look at uh, profitability and margins. Uh, Stadia is entirely uh, tertiary, which is growing faster than schooling at, the, at this point in the cycle, but they've got a large blend, uh, blended and particularly distant side, which also has different dynamics, and Cura is entirely in schooling, but it's, it's lower in schooling than Advitech. So I think all of them are valid, but uh, Advitech and Stadio stand out to me for different reasons, whereas Curo still, I, I suspect, my feeling is they still have a while to go to prove the ultimate profitability of their business. Um, Advitech, as, as the large established player, though, you would assume was a slower, the slower grower of all of them, but it actually isn't. Students are growing mid-single digits, revenue at 16%, and the last, last uh, set of results, EPS, was up 24%. That compares the same, if not better, than uh, Cura, where students only grew 2% and revenue growing at, you know, Sixteen uh, percent. Uh, Stadia on the tertiary side, though, is growing faster than than Apitech. So, really, my my preference is for the sector. And then, if we have to pick within it, I think Apitech and Stadia are, are are preferred. And if you have to pick only one of those, I would still go with Apitech. But but I take your point around and in, in, in what you said. They're investing in a vital sector, competing with the public sector. I mean, it, it it's it's almost. I mean, it's almost too easy in a sense. We, we look out and, and the importance of education to parents for their kids is, is undoubted. Uh, the importance of, of tertiary education for those who have left the schooling system is undoubted. Um, and, and, and the state simply can't provide the, the, the levels needed. Hence, we, we have a, 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 a private space which just offers huge opportunity. Definitely. The same thematic can be built out into private healthcare, mm. private security, uh, and, and so and so and so we go. Um, but certainly this is an inelastic service, a key and vital service. Um, and hence you can see the pricing power that these, particularly when either a school or tertiary institution is close to full, they, they can start to wield a, a fair amount of pricing power that should come through in returns and cash flows. And don't forget, you tend to pay for your education upfront. So the working capital cycle is very attractive as well. Yeah, and we've seen that with with the last set of Advertech results, and um, we'll have Roy Douglas on when when the, when the next set come through. In in that they they sort of expanding schools, and there's that big upfront cost, and they fill them out, and they add a little bit more to it in terms of classrooms, and it's a low cost but a a, a, a big hit to the to the revenue and, and and the profit side as that leverage effect comes through. Definitely, definitely. Um, so in in a strange way, one can almost view these companies as property companies and they're renting out desks mm-hmm. or seats, uh, depending on if you're schools or tertiary or logins if you distance. Um, and those things have very strong leverage. 
uh, once you hit break even, every single additional student or enrollment is is pure profit. Um, and, and therefore, if you can balance the expansion in terms of capex against your enrollments, you can you can have a really beautiful growth curve that uh, that with operating financial leverage falling to the bottom line, strong free cash flows. Edvitech has done that superbly. Yeah. Stadio is swinging into that phase, and Cura ran its cap its capex perhaps a little little ahead um and that what that's what we're seeing in terms of the impairments coming through but 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 now they are a lot more realistically managed so i think that might be behind it yeah man i take point we've certainly seen that in the advertech and and we can see it starting to come through in the stadium numbers keith mcclachlan integral asset management always appreciate the early morning insights and that's our poll today linkedin and twitter uh, education stocks i mean certainly and keith makes a point there when you when you when your competition's government it's almost too easy we're asking you which is your preferred of the local education stocks have your vote have your say linkedin and twitter your money gives a damn If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's Infrastructure Investment Fund, beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Check now with Casey Sprake, investment analyst, fixed income at Anchor. Casey, appreciate the early morning. Um, I, I got to say, a great note that that came out from from yourself and your your, your team last week around China. Uh, their GDP for last year, five point two percent. That puts it marginally ahead of their five percent target. Point you make though is that growth is slowing and there's cyclical and structural issues and that 5% target, it's going to get harder and harder to achieve. It's not going to be the slam dunk which the targets have been for the, the Chinese government perhaps over the last decade or two. Uh, good morning, Simon, and thank you for, for having me on the show today. And yeah, I think that, you know that's exactly the, the point. Um, you know, without a doubt, we're seeing that, that China's growth slowdown is deepening. I mean, if we look back at 2023, Almost every economic indicator, you know, think exports, manufacturing, real estate, consumption, credit, stock markets for that matter, have, you know, really disappointed. And as we enter into 2024, you know, really continuing to to disappoint. And from that, you know, it's becoming increasingly clear that, that China's structural policy trends are really beginning to, to cloud its, its medium-term growth prospects. And, you know, we're seeing productivity growth remaining weak, driven by low productivity in the state of enterprises and diminishing business dynamicism, et cetera. So it's really becoming clear that, that China's economic weakness is becoming more of a structural story rather than a, a simply cyclical downturn that bottomed out in, in 2023, which is what I think a lot, um, you know, with the financial markets, what a lot of investors were, were hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, beginning of last year, there was a lot of talk of this is going to all be about China. And it is, and you make that point, it, it's becoming, it, it, it's structural. They need to rebalance that economy, which you know, is easy for you and I to chat around, but they need to get it from sort of investment growth towards domestic consumption growth. And that, that, that's going to be hard. It's going to be incredibly difficult, you know, for for any economy to achieve, let alone one as with such a, a more complex structure as, as China. And, you know, that's it's really quite, um, you know, simple from the fact that 
you know, without sustained trade surpluses, there's only, you know, two real ways that a, a country can balance excess supply and, and weak demand, which is what, you know, China has at the moment. I mean, the first way is via very disruptive and untenable domestic production collapse. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what we saw in the U.S., for instance, during the, the Great Depression in the 1930s. Um, and then secondly, the, you know, the, the other option is to really try to, to boost consumption. And for China and in its particular setup, that is going to be incredibly uh, tricky to, to get right for Chinese authorities. You make the point in your note that that, that, that the math seems to be that uh, domestic consumption needs to grow up 6 or 7% a year, which, I mean, my notes here say, say it seems a tall ask. It probably is an impossible ask, which takes us then back to the point that the China of old is, is really gone and we need to, as a, as a global economy, uh, sort of get used to a, a lower growth China. No, essentially, I think that's really sort of the, the, the way forward. I mean, as you mentioned, from a straight arithmetic um, perspective, it is incredibly difficult to China to maintain, you know, growth rates of, let's say, four to five percent, which is normally mm-hmm. the assumed targets. Um, I mean, for that to happen, um, the country's central authorities would have to engineer policies that cause consumption to grow at at least about six to seven percent with investment remaining at, at roughly 1%. So, you know, to put it in simple terms, any lower consumption growth rate would mean that China would really not be able to rebalance its economy w- within a decade and, and maintain the current GDP to growth rates. So, for instance, if we look at China with consumption growing roughly at about 4%, you know, per annum, let's say, before the pandemic, and it's actually been much less since, uh, you know, one ask is a six to seven, six to seven percent growth rates in consumption even even possible. And to be honest, as it stands, no country in history, you know, at China's <laughs> current stage of economic development, has prevented consumption from from decreasing. Let alone, you know, driving it to increase at, at such a such a rate. Considering specifically that, you know, up until now, China's economy has sort of artificially been propped up by the, the central authorities. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, the, my last question. I mean, is Xi Jinping into his third term consolidation of power? I mean, does that hinder process? In other words, you know, almost makes people too afraid to speak up or, or is he sort of the right person and he can wield the stick? Is, is, is his consolidation in your mind a, 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 good, a good thing or a bad thing? Um, to be honest, I I think at, the, at this point it, it's it's probably more damaging to the overall outlook for the, the Chinese uh, economy. I mean, this consolidation of, of of the power at the top of you know China's government structures, as you just mentioned, has really served to to further stifle any policy debates or more mm. sort of open thinking. And then this is happening at a time you know just as China's past growth engines uh, have begun to to stutter. So I really believe, you know, as a result of this, there, there seems to be very little that, that China's authorities will or even can for that matter do to reverse the country's sort of declining um, growth trend. So, you know, falling short of a of a transformation at, you know, the real heart of the structure of China's government, which, of course, is, you know, highly unlikely at this point. Mm. Um at, at this point, I think we're going to the international markets are going to have to come to the acceptance of just much lower growth rates for China to come. Yeah, I, I think that is the answer. Much lower gro- growth rates from China. We'll leave it there. Casey Spoke, investment analyst, fixed income at Anchor. Really appreciate the early morning insights. MoneyWeb at Midday is South Africa's fastest paced audio news and current affairs show. Give me 30 minutes and I'll give you the country and the world. This is what you missed. Because of government inefficiencies, you're looking at the fuel levy, in a sense, as a, a cash cow, taking hard-earned tax money from citizens 
to compensate for government inefficiencies. Live at noon weekdays and then up as a podcast on moneyweb.co.za. Moneyweb at Midday with me, Jeremy Max, when you need relevant news quickly in your own time. That's it for today. We're chatting with uh, Samuel Zwani from FMB Wealth and Investments. We're talking structured products on Friday. We asked if you had any in your portfolio. Two-thirds said not for you. Quarter said yep, and you absolutely love them. The rest say you tried them but were disappointed. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nobochlet, Nicole Masechler, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.